0: Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. Today's conversation was one of my favorites. And here's the thing. We tapped into emotion. The conversation starts off and almost ends in a circle where I can connect the dots. We start the conversation with Robert's tenure at Kinko's. A very positive experience. And the idea that the company believed in me as a kid. Matter of fact, it's not the idea. It was that feeling. That they left him with, that trust, that credibility, that connection, and the emotions around it. And we end our conversation talking about what is school for? Because if I asked you this, ruckus maker, what do you remember about school? Maybe you remember some of the things that you were taught. You definitely remember the connections and relationships, and you absolutely remember how you felt. What if emotion is the secret? So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Ruckus Maker is email a soul crushing distraction for you. It was for me, and that's why I subscribe to Sanebox. Start your free two week trial and get a $25 credit by visiting sanebox.com forward slash BLBS. Isolation is the number one enemy of excellence, and isolation is also a choice. There's a better way. In fact, Here's what Michelle, a school leader in Maryland, has to say about the mastermind. The best part of the mastermind is a supportive community. School leadership can be isolating, but knowing I have a team of other school leaders with whom to share ideas, struggles, and wins gives me the courage and resolve to do what's best for my school community. Get connected and level up your leadership by applying to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. All right. And
1: Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, great, Daniel. Thank you very much.
0: I remember in our intro chat that you talked about working at Kinkos for 15 years and you said this quote that I love. The company believed in me as a kid. We're going to start there. And what did they do that made you feel like that? That the company believed in you as a kid.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. You know, I would say that what they did was accept me for where I was at in my development. Uh, and trusted me, you know, that there's a certain vulnerability that the company was willing to tolerate. Uh, You know, after all, they could have trusted me with responsibility, and then I could have disappointed them. I could have made mistakes. I could have cost the company money and time and resources, but I, you know, I didn't. And I think that most of the time when you bet on people, they pleasantly surprise you. Now, unfortunately, there are those times when people will disappoint us, uh, but that is even an opportunity for us to create to to learn from that and to be better at discerning. And it's also a chance for us to help the person when they do fall short and to because other people, you know in leadership capacity, other people are watching how we treat the others around us. So I think you know it's a situation where they invested in me. And, and I would like to think that it paid off.
0: I love it. And, and I think about how teachers interact with students. And sometimes students might be a little rascally from time to time. They'll get wound up and that's just normal. But if you have this expectation that they're all troublemakers or they're going to struggle with the content, et cetera, then they meet those expectations. Take the same kids, give them a different teacher who expects them to uh, carry themselves in a certain way or to achieve at a higher level. And guess what? Same kids meet those expectations. And so that's what, I, what I'm what i hearing you say in terms of the company and the trust and meeting people where they're at. They just, they believed in you and they communicated that to you.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think that what happens is the way that you, and this is of course in the workplace, the way that the company treats the employees, that is, almost a perfect correlation to how those employees treat customers Mm. and how they treat the business and their personal respect and personal involvement and engagement level to the business, you know, so, you know, all of a sudden I became super loyal to that company that gave me a chance.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I felt like an owner at that point because I was emotionally an owner.
0: Yeah. You didn't directly challenge the ruckus maker listening, but I will. And so what I heard you essentially say there, too, if you're seeing teachers uh, treating kids in a way that is out of alignment with what you want, you have to reflect and look in the mirror and say, well, how am I working with my faculty, you know? And when I work with people one-on-one or within the mastermind, I'll ask them about that, right? How How do you roll out your faculty meetings? Is it as dry and boring or worse than what you see in the classroom? Or is it engaging and personalized and differentiated? You know, uh, Do you incorporate their voices and all that kind of stuff? So that was Kinko's. And then you move on to a new company. Well, we won't necessarily uh, give the company's name, but you had an opposite experience and it was toxic. And there were two terrible years for you. And you said that those two terrible years taught you more than the 15 great years. Oh, yeah. There was one person specifically who was incredibly hard to work with. So can you share the context of that relationship and tell the story of winning him over?
1: Wow. Well, be sure. So in this particular company, I would say that it was just about everything you could imagine that was, we would frame as negative leadership, poor leadership skills. So there wasn't trust. There was suspicion. There was uh, kind of an emphasis on what I'll say a more of a competitive, over the top results orientation, to where people didn't matter. Only what you did to further the agenda mattered, and so in that kind of a more of a dog eat dog culture and climate that people were in, and really negative emotional climate, which is the key. I entered the uh, the organization with people reporting to me that didn't trust me, that assumed probably the worst in me. And one particular in- manager that was on my team was very upset because that individual had applied for the job that I eventually received. Uh, they, they, they hired me from the outside. And So I was dealing with this person who really had a lot of underlying resentment, disappointment, anger, uh, confusion, a lot of different negative emotions, and a lot of, you know, how do I deal with this and turn this around and bring this person closer to me in a positive way? And so I used this person's ambition in, in a way to build trust. And the way I did that was... I could sense the emotion. I can sense the, you know, the verbal and nonverbal communication that was being directed at me. And I, did, I just sat down with that person and said, look, I tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about what, where you want to take your career. And the person shared with me, well, I would like to be a vice president at this level, this kind of organization within five years. And so my response was, that's really great. It's it's my job to make sure that you get there. So I want to be a person who you see as a resource to achieve your goals. You know, to hell with the organization. Now, forget about that. Put all of that aside, and let's just focus on you and me. And that individual attention, which is one of the the five uh, aspects of transformational leadership, is the individualized attention. That I made this individual person feel Unique, special, and important. That's a critical thing for even among students. A student needs to feel that my teacher understands something special about me. My teacher understands something about me that connects me to him or her and allows me to perhaps open just a little bit and allow the teacher in. The same thing with leaders and in the business organization is what can I do? to make that person feel as though I empathize with them in a very personal, authentic, and genuine way. That's how you really open the person up and allow development to happen.
0: Such an empathetic approach. Yeah. And it's really understanding you know, who you serve and how you can help, in this case, him achieve his goals. But it doesn't always work, you know? It doesn't always work. To dance, right? To dance, you need a partner. Well, I guess you don't. You could be the first one to dance and that makes you a leader and people follow. But in the metaphor I want to use here, to dance, you need a partner. And I'm just curious how you'd handle the situation because if you remember, I shared this story during the intro call too, but I had one that got away and I took that approach and it was an AP on my team. She applied for the principal job. They didn't even give her an interview, right? Like, no. You're not even getting it. So didn't even get to that step. And when I arrived at school, she hated my guts. I truly believed that. I asked, hey, I asked everybody on the team because I had two APs that I had very nice and lovely, strong relationships with. Who do you want to become? How can I get you there? What have been your responsibilities in the past? How can we change things up to build your skill set, et cetera? And so for two, well, for three, I tried to make that happen and two resonated with it. But this other one, I could just never win over. I also found out that she was stabbing me in my back and saying nasty things to the faculty and feeding my supervisor lies, lies, stuff that wasn't even true that got me in trouble. I'm okay. It taught me a lot. It was a learning lesson, but that's the one that got away. And so what do you do in those situations when you still take, I think, the right approach? You have the right inputs but you still get the lousy result?
1: Well, you know, no matter what you do as a leader, you are never going to catch 100% of people in your influence net. It is, as you mentioned, it's a two-way street to dance. And that dance requires a partnership. You can only show up authentic, genuine, earnest, honest, demonstrate, continue to model accountability behavior, continue to... Uh, model what you want to see in others and take that constant assessment because there were some things that I probably did in a case where I had the one that got away, the, the person, the manager on my team that I just couldn't turn around. I could, I, for whatever reason, maybe it was a combination of these things like there could have been something about me that was like uh, nails on a chalkboard for this person that I can't control. But I also along the way used it to sharpen the saw of myself. I mean I so I use this as a as a kind of an exercise of constant continual self-improvement. You know, is there something to the other person's point of view that could have at least a, a kernel of truth. Yeah, you know, there are probably there were some things that I could have done differently that I could have done better. And so I just used it I, in this case I look back on it. And one thing I did kind of well was I didn't take it personally, but I used it personally. So I realized that you can't control ultimately the the emotions of another person. You can only, so we we use this term in emotional intelligence world of co-regulation. So in our culture, a lot of times we make the mistake of thinking I'm responsible for the way I feel, you're responsible for the way you feel, let's show up and do work together. The truth is that we co-regulate each other's emotional experience. And so there are always things that I can do to always reach out and co-regulate the experience of others now to the degree to which they're going to respond. I guess it's a numbers game. You will end up catching most of the fish in your net. And there are going to be some cases when you just don't. And you can use that as a positive way to constantly and continually self-improve and let go of the judgment, let go of the second thought, let go of the past. You know, you you can't hold on to that as a failure.
0: Got to let it go. So ruckus maker that's listening to unpack some of that wisdom Robert just shared, you catch a lot of fish and it's a weakness of mine. And instead of seeing the 40 fish I caught and the great meal that I'm going to prepare, I look at that one fish that got away and that's the one I want. So Put your focus on the forty, not the one. Seneca says, and here's a quote that I, I want you, uh, ruckus makers, to memorize. Right? I judge you unfortunate because you haven't experienced misfortune. You've gone through life without an opponent. Nobody knows what you're capable of, not even you. And so, to that last point, uh, Robert, that you made in terms of uh, not taking it personally, but helping it helping you uh, improve personally, that taught me. That my communication style wasn't working, and I could have, I should have over communicated and probably looped her in and had her closer. Which, which seems paradoxical because she was a bit of a threat, but she felt out of the loop, and probably my weaknesses and blind spots just continued to push her away. And I I needed to bring her in with communication. And then the other piece too, I'm really great with people and how I treat them, Uh, so that wasn't a struggle. But I did have a struggle with holding her accountable right? And probably because I just so desperately wanted her to like me. And so knowing what I know now, that would have been, you know, I approached it a million different ways. So, man, I'm loving this conversation. We're going to pause here just for a second to get a message from our sponsor. But when we get back, we're going to talk about the inside game. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal-setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by SaneBox. Inbox Zero, that's a thing of the past. Ruckus Maker, you're so inundated with email that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. That's where Sanebox comes in. Think of it as a robotic Mari Kondo for your email. As messages flow in, Sanebox tidies up your inbox, leaving only the important emails and directing all the distracting stuff to your Sane later folder. Now you know what messages to pay attention to and what stuff you can get to later on. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where I drag messages from annoying senders that I never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders, which pings me when somebody hasn't replied to a message I've sent out. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email service out there. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS today, and you'll also get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS. And we're back with Robert Schaefer, and we're going to get to a concept that I'm just so excited to talk about. Uh, Ruckus Maker, this is a game changer, and it's called the inside game. And so, you have this book, Meaningful Alignment, out, and a concept that is so important. It's called the Inside Game. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, in our work and our program, Meaningful Alignment, and and in the book, we talk about things through a, a term we call the inside game, and also there's the outside game. Well, the outside game is simply the skills, the tool, the bag of tools we teach people how to regulate their emotion, how to really make sure that we are executing a conversation in a way that will lead to align, what we call alignment, which is a deeper appreciation and understanding of one another. But this other side of the coin is the inside game and that really refers to what is going on emotionally with us and in terms of how we show up to an interaction with other people. And so our assessment does a, one of the scales that we look at is what we call affect intensity. So we take a look at the degree to which you uniquely show up in difficult conversations. So this is linked to a lot of the research on the you know sympathetic nervous system and differences between individuals in how sensitive we are and how strong our emotional reactive triggers are, and this influences the goals we take into our interactions, especially ones that are very important, where there's a lot of emotion at stake, there's a lot, the business could be at stake, the relationship could be at stake. So we have a tendency to bring that energy to the conversation, and each of us are a little different. So this helps us to understand what we need, the work we need to do in terms of growth and development so that we come better at being able to interact and engage with other people. So ultimately, the inside game refers to our ability to regulate and express emotion. So we kind of think of it in two ways. One is how good am I at being emotional exactly when I want to be emotional Mm -hmm. and the degree to which that I'm emotional? And also, you know, when I do choose to express emotion, am I able to control that? That's what we call that regulation. Regulation, sometimes people think of it as I'm trying to stifle. Well, that's not necessarily true. It is that I am expressing emotion to the exact degree that I want. Yeah. And also with positive or negative, you know, And am I showing these precise emotion that I want to show as well as how strong or intense it is? So that's the inside game is the ability to really manage ourselves so that we show up with other people in a a way that is going to be highly effective. Mm
0: -hmm. I was working with a leader one-on-one and she was just going through a heck of a time and there was some change that, you know, she's trying to roll out. Uh, So that's already tough enough. And within that teachers are tired and this kind of stuff. So, you know, that takes a lot to support there. Uh, But on top of it, somebody in her finance department uh, misunderstood uh, how she wanted to approach enrollment and thought that she was getting into some muddy uh, waters and and doing some improper things. And so uh, essentially told the board about it, and there was this huge investigation. And they went through the process, and it was a misunderstanding, so she's in the clear, but it hurt, right? It hurt going through it. And to have somebody, I, I guess, like mistrust or misunderstand the intentions, you know, that hurts as well. And then to go through all of that, it's like really rough. And I remember her saying like, How do these uh, CEOs and these business executives, you know, like there's this idea and vision of this guy who doesn't feel, right? And I'm like, I'll call her Beth. Hey, Beth, you don't want to be a robot. Like that's not the answer that these, these hard things happen and then you don't feel at all. And to be quite honest, your passion is one of the biggest reasons you're so effective at your job because you care about the work so much. And so let's figure out how to regulate and, and think about these things but you don't want to become a robot. I'm wondering Robert, is there is there some practical if somebody wants to start working on their insight game? Is there is there a practical exercise or step that they could take to level that up?
1: Good question. <laughs> I'm going to be editing here because there's that 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 opens a whole new avenue. Yeah. So I'm kind of we're kind of uh, you know camera cut I'm working through this with you a little bit. Yeah. One of the things that I'm concerned about uh, is, is that people don't realize the, the gravity of this. So before we get to the point to where how do I manage my emotional experience? Yeah. It's, it's a really important up front to first recognize what is the current impact that I'm experiencing. So we know through research, and this is like through Mark Brackett's work at Yale uh, on school children and emotional intelligence, that 75% of the um, the experience of feeling that students have is negative emotion, stress, Mm. depression, boredom, things that aren't constructive to creativity, learning, and learning retention. And the interesting thing in that research is that they also took a look at all of the data of how teachers feel,
0: right? Because how their leaders showing up, and so we, we can we can pause and um, I think if you answer it that way and say, hey, before even giving a practical tip, what's important to consider is uh, the impact yeah. you might be having, and that is actually the practical tip to reflect on how you're showing up, right?
1: right? Right. The first practical tip is whoa. Let's back up and really take a look first at the. So I don't know if you wanted to start fresh or how you want to do that.
0: Yeah, let's just uh, count to three in your head and then just roll with your answer.
1: So before we get to what do you practically do to regulate the emotional experience, this inside game? Yeah, we first have to acknowledge the impact that the kind of the status quo of our emotional state is actually bringing. To the classroom or to the boardroom. So what we know from research, and this kind of goes to the research done by Mark Brackett at Yale, uh, he's the director of the Center for Emotional Intelligence for Learning, mostly for children, um, is that in all, of, they did this huge data analysis of the emotions that children experience while they're in school. And 75% of their emotional experience were negative boredom, stress, frustration, anxiety. So right off the bat, if we kind of know that there is a tendency for students to feel this way, we then can approach the issue a little bit more firsthand and say, well, okay, so if I know that students are likely to feel everything from boredom to stress to frustration, whatever pressure they're under, how can I alleviate those feelings in myself and also Co-regulate the experience of the other students so that they're in a place in terms of their mood and their affect, where the lesson that I want to give them is actually going to stick and they're going to be able to receive the new learning. So even if you, if you think about it, if you have like 50 minutes if you have like 50 minutes with a student in a, in a middle school, in a class, if you could just get 20 minutes of deep and real learning. Huge, huge. So even if you spent 30 minutes regulating the emotional experience of that student, of the students in the room to where you could get 20 minutes of extremely deep, meaningful, highly retained, you, it's a huge victory. So the part of the problem that we have is we're not really cognizant in our day to day of just how important mood and our emotional experiences in terms of our ability to create, to learn, to retain. And, you know, so you think about the, just the concept of creativity. We you know how important creativity is in education and in business. And a lot of times we kind of think of creativity as being the product of IQ or one's intelligence. And indeed, yeah, they're correlated with each other almost perfectly until you get to average IQ. Once you go smarter than average IQ, when creativity flatlines. So creativity is related to general intellectual ability, general cognitive ability, until you get to average intelligence. Then from that point on, creativity is a product of emotional experience. It's so important to manage the emotions in the classroom to get meaningful results in terms of what they actually retain and learn. And Mark Brackett himself tells a great story of he uh, returned back to a middle school where that he went to as a kid and he would really stood out for him was he could not remember very many details. He couldn't remember the names of a lot of his teachers because it was, you know, some 30 years past or 20 years past. He couldn't remember that. names of peers, couldn't remember anything that that he really learned, but he could remember crisply, sharply, as though it happened yesterday, how a teacher made him feel. And as he could walk down the hall, it was like floods of emotions coming back. He said, that is what really sticks with a person. When you think about every teacher that made a difference for you in your life, It was emotional and the emotion that they were able to use to connect to you, to reach out to you. So if we know that 70% of emotion coming into the classroom is not conducive to that, then it behooves us to really focus first and foremost to have an emotional lesson plan. What are we doing to shift our own mood so that when we show up, we are co-regulating with those students to bring them to a place where they're really primed to learn and absorb new information
0: that's the secret there is in my why is everybody wins when a leader gets better everybody wins when you get better and part of that is there's a weight and responsibility to the quote but we're ruckus makers right we make change happen we break free from the status quo we never ever give up and it's it's something i believe but it's uh maybe counterintuitive and risky uh, and get some people to be a bit uncomfortable. Like, what's the point of school? I want to teach kids. I want them to learn. I want them to develop critical thinking, be creative, solve interesting problems. I think a lot of it's about how do we connect as human beings? Uh, How do we build relationships? And a big reason I believe all this is because just like your uh, colleague there, I don't remember so much what I learned in school. I try really hard to go back there and remember, but I do remember how I feel. And I remember how connected or worse, disconnected, or the time you were bullied, etc. Like, whoa, right? That's the secret.
1: It really is. So if if we think about, if you're the ruckus maker, you can't control what the students experience at home. You can't necessarily control everything about the climate of the school unit around you, but you can make your interactions in your classroom a place of sanctuary. Mm. You can make your classroom, your experience with your students here and now as a place where people can trust you with their emotion and allow you to regulate their feeling. And that, therefore it, you're priming those students to absorb new information. So you can think of the things that we teach in our, in our program, meaningful alignment. We really emphasize the, the power of things like mindfulness meditation, gratitude work, really the tools of positive psychology of the of, of last several decades to help make sure that we are engaged in what I call emotional hygiene. So a lot of the problems we have in our culture of the kind of a rugged individualism is, is, again, we're back to, I'm responsible for my emotion, you're responsible for yours, let's work together. And that doesn't work. And it doesn't work because we're, we, we are co-responsible for one another's emotional experience. And especially this is going to be true with a student that only has so much emotional development behind them to where they really understand why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, they just know that you made you did indeed make them feel a certain way. They don't necessarily know why. So, it, as a leader in that experience, the instructor needs to be able to model the kind of emotional space that's going to be conducive to learning. And now, this gets kind of complex because if I'm teaching a highly creative subject, I want the students to be in a certain emotional state that might be different than if I'm teaching math. So, a lot of the emotional intelligence in terms of understanding the consequence of a specific emotion or emotional state or a specific mood state there's recognizing how do i know when i'm really in a space where i'm excelling in math when i'm excelling at doing the doing mathematics as a, as an exercise versus if i'm trying to process literature or i'm trying to really understand the impact of something I'm I'm reading about in history and engage with it and synthesize it into my life. So what are the emotional states that you want to bring the student to based on what you're actually engaged in doing? How can I bring myself to that state so that people hear in my voice, see in my body, the emotion that I'm projecting will be contagious to them? Mm -hmm. So if we're not conscious of the the emotional experience we're projecting, we're not going to be very good at understanding the emotion we're creating. So it does, unfortunately, start with the teacher becoming more emotionally intelligent and becoming more cognizant of the impact that they have on the emotion they project. Everything from the tone of voice, the enthusiasm, All those things are going to matter greatly. And we know from the research that emotional contagion is a powerful force. So if I am in a certain emotional state, I'm going to have an influence on you that I probably can't fully appreciate, but it's real. And it happens quickly. Sometimes an emotion can be kind of um, caught, (laughs) like, you know, you're catching a cold. We call it contagion. It can it can happen in less and far less than a second you know so everything from my facial expression to how I use my body to my posture to the tone of voice everything matters so what is your emotional lesson plan for the day and consider two things or well, my internal mood? And do I need to regulate that? And also, what do I want to achieve? Where do I want to take the student emotionally? And how do I get there? And to really think mindfully, intent, intentionally about how I'm going to take the person on that emotional journey.
0: And that's the same for the ruckus maker listening, leading her school, thinking about where she wants to take her staff. Now, Robert, I could have this conversation all day. This is like right in my wheelhouse. Uh, we're going to have to Say goodbye here soon. So, last two questions I ask every guest: uh, What message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day?
1: There's so many things to choose from. One thing (laughs) I came across recently was a Teddy Roosevelt quote that I just fell in love with: "That no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care." I love that, and that would be a great marquee slogan, I think.
0: Uh, absolutely would. And now you're building a school from the ground up, Robert. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So how would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities?
1: Oh, no. Three priorities, huh? Wow. Well, what comes to mind just intuitively is, is instead of forming rules, you know, it, it is more about can we create a manifesto of how we want to make each other feel? what kind of feelings do we want to generate at school you know i want to feel challenged i want to feel safe i want to feel okay i want to feel good about myself i want other kids that i go to school with to feel the same way and if we can think of what if we had emotion rules and no behavior rules at all but just so that that might be a little bit abstract but that's what comes to mind
0: but those are the best ways that we we uh take a look at this question. And what I like about it is that, you know, Robert, this is all invented. You can give me three priorities. You can give me 50. You can give me one. It doesn't matter how you answer because you already got an A. You showed up like who you are and you delivered a great conversation uh, today. And so I I like that priority there is what if we scrap the rules, right? What if we rebuilt school around these agreements and really considered how do I want my staff, my students, and my parents and community members to feel as a part of this school? And if we just figured that out, wouldn't a lot of great stuff happen as a result? So Robert, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: The degree to which you take care of your own emotional well-being is directly correlated to the success you will have as an educator in your students retaining the wisdom that you're offering them.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.